0: You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network, the Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker.
1: My guest is Dr. Benjamin Burt, a cornea specialist dedicated to treatment and research affecting the front of the eye, including cornea transplants, cataract and LASIK surgery, and external disease. Before joining the faculty at Doheny Eye Institute, Dr. Burt was a fellow at both Doheny and USC, Dr. Burt divides his time between patient care and research and is now designing a study focused on figuring out ways to make treatments for sufferers of retinal disease more comfortable. In addition to his skills as a physician, Dr. Burt is also an award-winning teacher and has an interest in convening conversations across medical disciplines that touch on care of the eye. We'll talk about all of that on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Ben.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So let's start out there with your interest in interdisciplinary work, and I know that you will be offering a continuing medical education workshop that addresses patient care at the intersections. How did this interest evolve for you?
0: So one of the great things that that we realize when you go into ophthalmology is that the eye really is a, a window to the rest of the body. And so many diseases that can affect microvasculature or just the overall health of the body can sometimes first be seen having effects in the eyes and so being able to kind of have that overlap and and know about those conditions can sometimes really help patients to live healthier lifestyles or or just kind of take care of themselves better.
1: Then, can you talk a little bit specifically about patients care that you have supervised or patients who you've seen and where you've seen those intersections in reality creating issues or? overlap with other disciplines.
0: Correct. Yeah. So there's there's many examples of it happening cuz sometimes patients won't go to see a primary medical doctor because they don't think that anything is wrong with them, but one of the first symptoms of disease may be that their vision actually starts to get a little bit blurred. And so there have been a number of times already in my career where patients have had blurred vision. Sometimes they notice that it happens after they eat sweet foods. They come in and we examine them and they have some early signs of diabetic retinopathy or diabetic eye diseases. And we're able to kind of explain to these patients exactly what is going on and then help to plug them into the the health system to get them the care that they need for the rest of their body as well before there are long-term effects from the, the disease itself. Now, the other aspect of things that can happen with the eyes is in relation to medications that patients may be taking or may be planning on taking, and that's an area where for us to educate the, the primary care physicians as well as the patients is, is very important. One of the medications in particular that that has a profound effect on the eye in relation to cataract surgery are the class of medication that's prescribed for benign prostatic hypertrophy. And so one of the the biggest drugs that was used for that is tamulosin, which was the um, generic for the brand name Flomax. And what that does is it actually affects the smooth muscle in the iris as well as the muscles in the prostate. And so in the kind of early 90s, there was some notice that patients were having what's called very floppy iris during cataract surgery. And they were able to go back and do studies and do some retrospective reviews. And they found that the similar connection between all of these patients was that they were on this prostate medication. And so it's been a, something that we've known about for a number of years. But when a survey was sent out to primary care physicians, it found that only 35% were aware that this class of medication could have such a profound effect on cataract surgery and actually increasing the risk of complications with cataract surgery. And then of the 35% that were even aware of this, only 17% took this into consideration when they were deciding on treatments for their patients. As we get more and more specialized in in medicine, people tend to focus more and more on just their specialty, and they forget that kind of everything is connected. And I think it's important to always remind people that something that happens in one part of the body often has uh, an effect in other parts of the body.
1: So let me ask you, because you're talking about uh, a complication that arises because of a pharmacological remedy that's uh, attempted for prostate cancer sufferers, but I'm also curious about diseases and maybe diseases other than diabetes because we hear a lot about the effects of diabetes on the eye, but I know that there are other diseases where the eye can be affected or where a patient who has eye issues can also find that that leads to issues with other systems. Can you talk about those things? So
0: a whole class of uh, eye diseases tend to have systemic manifestations as well. And those kind of fall under the umbrella of inflammatory eye diseases or what we call uveitis. And uveitis means uh, inflammation of of the eye, and it can affect different parts of the eye. And that goes all the way from the external disease back to the, the retina itself. And usually inflammatory diseases in the eyes cause a significant amount of pain they can cause a lot of redness they can cause light sensitivity and they can actually cause some of the tissues of the eye to malfunction and what what i will sometimes see as a cornea specialist is that the body recognizes tissues in the eye as being foreign so it's almost like a an autoimmune type of reaction that happens and the body attacks its own tissues thinking that it's a foreign tissue causing things to kind of break down and in the the cornea that can actually lead to corneal melts or perforations or thinning of the tissues that can affect vision and affect the overall health of the eye And these are often related to some of the arthritis conditions that can affect the rest of the body things like rheumatoid arthritis in particular can have some devastating effects on on the eye itself and sometimes that's not even really known until patients have ocular surgery and maybe their recovery is a little bit unusual and we can see complications happen from, from that perspective. In those instances, the treatment of the rest of the body gives a better result to the eye as well. And so we often will first try to treat just with topical eye drops or injections around the eyes to control the inflammation there. But if the body has revved up such a large uh, autoimmune response, then you have to actually suppress the immune system throughout the entire body in order to allow people to be comfortable, be stable, and not have some of the confounding factors that that can lead to damage of the eyes.
1: So it can get very complicated. I'm curious, can you give us a kind of a peek behind the scenes, as it were, and Talk a little bit about how these conversations are convened and really doctors who are so busy, do they have time?
0: Right. And, and really taking a, a team-based approach is the most important thing to ensure good outcomes for these patients. And so, yes, physicians are becoming increasingly busy and there's presses on time for everybody. But in complex cases like this, especially if things seem to be developing rapidly, having constant communication amongst all of the, the different physicians that are part of the medical team caring for these patients can can really help to direct the course of the treatment and also help to ensure that the, the patient has a good outcome. For instance, with a lot of uveitis patients, if we are unable to control the inflammation just with ophthalmic medications or with injections, then we'll often enlist the help of uh, a rheumatologist in order to help to explore anything else that may be happening in the rest of the body that could require treatment. And in those instances, they are often relying on our exam of the eye to determine how much inflammation is there in regards to how they're going to titrate any systemic medications. And so that communication is of the utmost importance so that they're aware whether the medication that they're prescribing is having the desired effect for the eye or is it having the desired effect for the rest of the body and kind of titrating everything to make sure that we're at a a steady state and a good level for each individual patient. Lots of communications, lots of phone calls, and lots of letters kind of help to ensure that that happens.
1: I'm curious because you're talking at the patient level, but I'm also wondering, is there a broader cultural shift among physicians to get into these conversations across disciplines?
0: So I think that it's always been there. And it's kind of one of the great things about the profession of medicine is that we we kind of consider everyone to be our colleague. And in instances where one physician may have more knowledge or more experience than the other physician, it's an opportunity for continued education as well. And in those instances, they may have heard something or remembered reading something years ago, but may not be fully up to date with what it is. And that gives a, a good teaching opportunity to kind of bring them up to that level and, and kind of make them part of the the team and, and be able to all be at the, the place that's needed in order to get the best response. And I think for the vast majority of physicians, they they do want to participate in that type of a system, really being more of a team than an individual.
1: And I think it's very nice the way you characterize it, kind of a more casual continuing medical education system that's in place at all times, really. So doctor, I want to pivot and talk a little bit about your work having to do with designing some studies to find ways to make patients more comfortable who are undergoing a regime of injections for retinal disease. Can you talk about that?
0: One of the major advancements in the treatment of uh, macular degeneration, or even now kind of spilling over into diabetic retinopathy and lots of retinovascular diseases, is the use of uh, anti-VEGF agents, and those are given by an intravitreal injection. Now, some patients receive these injections on a monthly basis, and because it is actually a needle going into the eye, there is the risk of having bacteria that live on the surface of the eye being implanted in the sterile internal contents of the eye. And so a big fear with doing these injections is the possibility of having an infection afterwards. And the protocol that's being used right now is to pretty much sterilize the surface of the eye using a povidone iodine solution. And this is based off of research that was done in the early 90s that showed a very high benefit of using povidone iodine before doing cataract surgery. And they were able to show that it was not toxic to the inside of the eye and eliminated the vast majority of the bacteria on the surface of the eye very rapidly. But you can imagine something that's so toxic to bacteria is also not going to be that kind to the surface of the eye. And some patients tolerate it better than others but some can have significant breakdown of the surface layers of the cornea and surface layers of the conjunctiva, which can lead to lots of burning and lots of pain after the injection is performed. So they get the benefit of lowering the risk of infection, but then they're living with significant pain that sometimes can last for multiple days. We sometimes have uh, patients who will need to have a bandage contact lens placed, in order to act as a buffer and kind of protect the surface that has had a little bit of the toxicity and a little bit of breakdown because of the povidone iodine. So now what has happened is a recent study that came out just at the beginning of this year demonstrated the safety and efficacy of using a different solution, an aqueous chlorhexidine solution, instead of the povidone iodine. And the fear, of course, is, and the hesitance of anyone to switch is that povidone iodine has now been used for 25 years and has been proven time and time again to be very effective. So why would someone want to switch to something else? But when they looked at the chlorhexidine solution, it, it came out equally favorable to the povidone iodine. And so now the question that we have and, and what we're designing a study to evaluate is how do the patients tolerate that on the surface of the eye compared to the povidone iodine? And is it going to be more comfortable or will this be a good alternative to patients who have maybe already had povidone iodine in the past and not done well from a a sensation standpoint afterwards? Can we switch them to chlorhexidine moving forward and hopefully allow them to have a better experience especially if they're going to need to be having these injections on a a monthly basis.
1: Thank you so much for illuminating that, because I think it really gives a peek at how the research and patient care dovetail when Doheny doctors are at work. Thank you so much. Uh, I I just want to ask you, yeah, I want to ask you before we sign off. So I think my research evidence that you are a second generation ophthalmologist. Is that right?
0: That's correct. Yeah. So my my father is also an ophthalmologist. He practices up in San Francisco and has been practicing up there coming up on 45 years pretty soon here. And when I was growing up, um, he was actually transitioning. So the the current form of cataract surgery that we do is called phacoemulsification. And the previous cataract surgery was um, more commonly called the extracastular cataract extraction. And so he was in practice already when that transition was occurring. And so in order to educate himself and and be able to make that transition, he was often watching surgical videos. Even from a very young age, I would sneak down into his study while he was watching the the videos and we would watch them together. So I've been seeing ophthalmic uh, surgery for most of my life at this point in time and it was kind of a, a fun activity that that he and i were were able to do together i yeah. always said we watched two things together we would watch cataract surgery and the 49ers back when they were <laughs> a good team
1: <laughs> back in the day it's funny before you before you started to say that i was thinking other people were watching nintendo and you were watching cataract right. surgery, right <laughs> yeah exactly very so authentic. i knew
0: i knew all all of the terms and and all of the the techniques just from kind of watching it with him. Because, of course, repetition is the key to learning. So he watched those videos a, a number of times. And, you know, a, a lot of people think that, that eye surgery is, is kind of a scary thing. And a lot of people bring up clockwork orange and having the lid speculums put in. But when you really see um, ophthalmic surgeries, it's such a precise surgery under the microscope. And the ocular tissues are primarily... Uh, without blood vessels so it's an almost bloodless surgery when we speak about corneal transplants and and cataract surgery so I guess in in a strange way to me I think that they're actually very beautiful surgeries or I was desensitized to it because I grew up watching them
1: (laughs) (laughs) no I think it's probably probably the former awesome what a fabulous (laughs) guest you've been thank you so much Dr. Benjamin Burt your time and your insights so valuable to us I hope you'll come back
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much again for having me. It's been a pleasure. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, Visit our
1: website, Doheny.org.